Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Major League Baseball Draft. The Chicago White Sox have the fourth pick, but as we kick off the first round, all eyes are on Detroit and San Francisco. Will Casey Mize go first overall, or will the Tigers select Joey Bart or Brady Sainter? If Casey Mize doesn't go to Detroit, will San Francisco take him, or will they go under slot for Cole Wynn? There's a lot hanging in the balance to start the draft, and it greatly impacts on who the White Sox will add to their pipeline and hopefully will become an impact player in the rebuild. Welcome to the Sox Machine Draft Show, starting right now. Welcome to the Sox Machine 2018 Major League Baseball Draft Show. I'm Josh Nelson, and this is our third year streaming live to cover the Chicago White Sox first round pick. If you've joined us in the past couple of years, welcome back. If you are new to the show, thanks for listening as we'll provide commentary as the picks are announced from MLB Network Studios. We recommend that you are watching on MLB Network or the stream on MLB.com as they will announce the picks first as it's our goal to provide insightful analysis towards the White Sox pick fourth overall. Joining me tonight are three brave souls. First, the new guy who has been covering the Major League Baseball draft for both Future Sox and the Loop Sports. It's James Fox. And finally, co-hosting the show with me for the third consecutive year is feature writer for FutureSox.com. It's Brian Billick. And hello, Brian. I figured by now you'd be sick of me. Josh, I haven't done many things three years in a row, but this is one of my favorite days of year, so it's great to be back. Man, we keep growing, Brian. Every year we do this, we add somebody else to the mix. 
in a few years here, we're going to be like ESPN. We're going to have like seven guys doing this draft show. Uh, No, but thank you, James, Jimmy, and Brian for joining me again. And again, for our listeners, welcome to the draft show. If you have any questions or comments, please put them in the Mixler chat window or you could tweet them to us. You could follow James at JamesFox917. You could follow Brian on Twitter at BrianBillick underscore. And you could follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. Jimmy, I heard you were banned from Twitter. I'm sorry to hear that. I, I have been banned from many places, but not Twitter. I'll get on. <laughs> I just got to figure out how this electri- electricity thing goes. You know. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's talk about our draft boards, as I'm sure everyone by now has a good idea on who they would like the White Sox to take. There have been... A lot of updates to the mock drafts. Fangraphs has released an update. Baseball America has released an update. MLB Pipeline has released an update. And they are going on a different path right now than what we are seeing from ESPN, Fangraphs, and Baseball America. James, you are the rookie, so we'll start with you. If you were consulting for the Chicago White Sox and they asked, who are your top five prospects on your draft board, who would they be? I would start with Casey Mize. Um, I think he's the clear best player in the draft, multiple-plus pitches. However, I do not think there's any chance he gets to the White Sox, obviously. I actually have uh, Matthew Liebertor second. Okay. Um, High school lefty. Um, I think he moves fairly quickly for a high schooler, and I think he's less risky than a lot of the high schoolers. But, again, not sure that's what we're going to see. I'd have Nick Madrigal third. Uh, Just the – you know, the 60 to 70 grade hit tool is just something that, you know, I think that's I, that's why I'd have him over Singer. I have Singer at four. And then instead of having a number five, it's just as I just say an under slot option there at five. Whoever they would say something to save them, probably two and a half to three million dollars to disperse later. Jimmy, how about you? Who is on your top five for your draft board? Well, uh, Casey Mize, of course, is at the top of the list, but top of everybody's list, he won't be there for us. I prefer Joey Bart, if I had my way. He actually plays an important position. I think he has every reason to uh, to be able to stick and have a long career in, uh, in MLB. Um, it's a much more important position, and I, I like the kid. He's very impressive when I look at him. He's very impressive. Then I have Nick Madrigal. We all know about him. After that, I would say Brady Singer. My fifth would actually be Carter Stewart. Stewart, I think probably, I believe, the best high school player in this draft. All right. And then, Brian, how about you? What, who is on your top five? Well, I'm just like them with, with Mize at the top. I, I think if the medicals are clean there, he's uh, you know pretty safe for anyone picking there. You know, He's got multiple pitches, could compete in the bullpen this year, be in the rotation next year. Uh, you know, I think a lot of teams at the top of the draft would love to have him. I actually have uh, Madrigal second. You know, I, I think he's the best ball player in the draft. That's not necessarily the highest ceiling player, but, uh, you know, a player who could fill in, you know, quicker than late, later uh, in, in the middle of the infield and give you some good defense at second at least. Uh, third, I have Alec Bohm, the power hitter from Wichita State. I think uh, perhaps the best offensive potential in the draft. Uh, you know, good uh, strikeouts into walk ratio gets on base he's gotten better every year hitting the cape fourth i have uh matthew libertor you know i'm I'm very big fan of him i'm not a big fan of drafting high school pitching as a whole Mm -hmm. but uh i think this guy's a different type of high school pitcher just how refined he is and and how inventive he is with and able to hold his mechanics through all the while and then fifth i have uh joey bart 
being a catcher, uh, you know, who, who has the defensive prowess that he does. You know, I, I just think with the current state of Major League Baseball, anybody is going to be able to is going to be happy to have a catcher like that in their system, even if he's got some uh, some work to do on, on the hitting side. Yeah, and as far as my top five, I, again, agree with everybody. Casey Mize will be the top of my board. I agree with Jimmy. I have Joey Bart, number two. I have Nick Madrigal, number three. I do have Brady Singer, number four. And I have Jonathan India at number five. I think something sparked in him that could carry on after this year. And uh, hopefully he doesn't prove me wrong and is a... Uh, a one-season wonder from the college ranks because we have seen that prior with uh, really with prospects that really rise to the system. I I had seven guys on my list initially: Alec Baum's number six and Jared Kelenic, uh number seven. Let's talk about these mock drafts because for the last week, Brian, it has been nothing but Nick Madrigal, Brady Singer, Nick Madrigal, Brady Singer, and it seems like that's what the competition's going to come down to as far as the choice for the White Sox uh, based on these mock drafts do you buy that do you think in the White Sox war room that it will come down to choosing either Nick Magical or Brady Singer, or is there a third option that we haven't been really looking at I mean I think smart money is there for sure I mean those are the two guys that everybody's attached them to for for obvious reasons but you know with with Nick Hostetler taking over a few years ago they have a lot of pride in deceiving the media, deceiving scouts. You know, I don't think we had any idea what was going to happen last year when uh, the Sox took Jake Berger. The year prior, Zach Collins was a guy that was reported to be uh, someone the White Sox saw and didn't like, and then they then they took him 10th overall. So I, I wouldn't be surprised with uh, Singer. I think he's probably the most likely, Madrigal uh, the second most likely. But at the same time, the, the Sox like to uh, – they like to surprise, and, and given some of the stuff that's been uh, out there in the media, you know, particularly some of the things you highlighted yesterday, on, or I guess this morning, on the Sox Machine podcast with, with the Fangraphs guys and what they were talking about with Kenny Williams and the White Sox front office, it, it's a little fishy to me. And, and, and I, uh, I guess it's kind of a cop-out, but I don't think the Sox can surprise me because it's just like whatever they do, it's either they're taking who they're expected to take or they're going to surprise like they have in the past few years. So... I know that's not much of an answer, but I guess we'll have to wait that one out. <laughs> well, I think that is probably the correct take because we've done this now for three years. And I, I wasn't expecting Zach Collins to go to the White Sox 10th overall. I wasn't expecting Jake Berger to go to the White Sox 11th overall. So I guess I should be surprised on what the White Sox do fourth overall. And James, with you being as far as the rookie, uh, and I know that you had your mock draft that you released today. Who did you mock to the White Sox at fourth overall? Um, I gave them Nick Madrigal today. Um, I, I did one last week where I gave them Brady Singer. I had Singer gone in my version, actually, and had Bart falling a little bit So today. So that's where I went, Madrigal. I, I think Singer's their top guy, but we will see. And then Jimmy, you know, we've done mock drafts together, and I know that you have forced a prep player for the White Sox to go that route with number four. That would be the surprise, Jimmy. That would be the big surprise that the White Sox don't go college. If they were to go prep, who are some names that we could be looking at at number four? Well, I, you know what? They're not going to go prep because they're the White Sox and they don't do that. So the uh, the only reason I, I mentioned that was 
well, what if this happened at the top of the draft and these other players are available? But that's not really the way the White Sox work. What I think could be possible and what I would like to see, and I think it's quite possible, I think they could draft Joey Bart. I think he's on their top seven list. I don't think they think he's going to be there. I think if he is there, they're going to consider him heavily. I I think he's got uh, a lot of upside uh, that some of these other guys don't. And I think there's a possibility that that could happen. Uh, Other than that, I think what we learned in the last two years is the White Sox really like college players because they can see so much more of them. But more than that, the top five players last year and the year before, actually six players that year, went in the top five picks. So I have a feeling that the top five players are going to go in the top five picks. And according to MLB Network, the Detroit Tigers pick is in, and they will be making the announcement soon. So let's try to put on our Detroit Tigers caps on. Brian, who do you think the Tigers are going to take number one overall? I I was thinking, Mize, and it it looks like that's the move here. Um, You know, now that... He looks like he's hugging his family right now on MLB Network, so he is the first pick for the Tigers. Yeah. And I, I think uh, that kind of prevents a huge wrench in this, in this draft from coming. The one thing that I would say is, uh, young men, uh, if you're smoking, stop smoking or you're going to look like Jim Leland. <laughs> <laughs> Did uh, Leland call that pick? He, they had a picture of him, and I thought to myself, well, he should be dead, but he's not, and there you go. <laughs> wow. And it is official. The Detroit Tigers take Casey Mize number one overall, the right-hander from Auburn University. Yeah. What makes this really enticing is that Auburn won their regional as the two-seed, and if Florida, who is currently in play right now, going up against Florida Atlantic, wins their regional we could see Florida against Auburn in the Super Regional, which means we could possibly see Casey Mize again against the number one team in the country, the Florida Gators, next weekend. Uh, so for the Detroit Tigers now, as far as their their pipeline, it is very stacked on the starting pitching front. Uh, they got Franklin Perez last year, Matt Manning. Uh, is part of this mix, and now they add in Casey Mai. So clearly, if you look at their top 30 prospects on MLB Pipeline, it's very heavy on the starting pitching front. So it'll be interesting to see how the Tigers add more positional players to the rebuild. All right, so that's the Detroit Tigers. They go chalk. They go Casey Mize. Now, James, with the San Francisco Giants, they could go out a couple ways. They could go chalk, and they could take who we think they're going to take in Joey Bart. But how serious would you consider Cole Wynn being selected by the Giants in this spot? I think it's a big possibility. I think it depends on who they can slide to the second round, though. And that's, I mean, that's kind of what that's pick like 45, like right in front of the White Sox. So they'd have to slide somebody an awful long way. But I think it was one of the Fangraphs guys talking about Tristan Cassis, um, the power hitting first baseman out of Florida. I mean, if you could possibly get both of those guys for the same bonus amount that you would have given Bard, I think, I think they'll consider it. But um, I know Jim. Jim's a big fan of Bart. He'd probably take Bart, or uh, yeah, he'd probably take Bart here. So, yeah, I I would take Joey Bart if I'm the San Francisco Giants because it does set up that hair apparent, right? You can naturally make the transition from Buster Posey to Joey Bart. By the time Bart joins the Giants roster, you can move Buster Posey over to first base. Very similar to what the Minnesota Twins did with Joe Mauer. 
at this pick value for the draft slot, always important. The Giants have $7.49 million to work with. That's the value of this pick. So they do decide to save money and draft Cole when they could be saving millions of dollars later on in the draft as the Giants have about 90 seconds left before they make their next pick. Uh, so let's say if they take Cole Wynn, Jimmy, and that means Joey Bart drops. How far do you think Joey Bart will drop? Will he just go to Philadelphia third overall, or could he go even deeper into the top 10? I would say that uh, he would not, would not drop drop very far. Like I said, the top five guys tend to go on the top five picks. He would not drop far, but I would say probably flip the coin for for Philly as to whether or not he goes there. I would say that with San Francisco, them doing something like win or something else, probably of the top ten team, top five teams, they're the ones most likely to do that because nobody knows who they're going to take. Nobody really knows the the fact that they were going to take Bart. That's a lay on. They never said that. They never indicated that. So, uh, yeah, he could. Uh, and the pick is in. He could ease. They could easily pick somebody else. Be interested to see what San Francisco does. Uh, Brian, how much do you think weighs on Philadelphia right now as they sit behind San Francisco with this pick? Do you think the Phillies will maybe pick Joey Bart if he does drop? Or do you think that the Phillies are comfortable where they are that they'll decide between Alec Baum or Nick Magical? Well, I mean, I think you're breaking it down perfectly because I think with the Giants picking at two, I think we could assume that win was kind of their backup if, if Detroit decided to surprise with, um, with Joey Bart first overall. But it's, it's kind of interesting if Bart were to fall off that second pick, where, where would that stop? I mean, I can't get a good field for, feel for the Phillies. Uh, from what I was told, they went into the, today thinking the best-case scenario was Casey Mize, and it was kind of described to me as a, as a Carlos Rodon scenario with the White, when the White Sox drafted him a few years ago. Um, and I, obviously, you know, they can't do that now. So is it going to be Bohm, the guy they've been uh, attached to the whole time, or has that kind of been a, a, a smoke show of sorts as they uh, have their intentions going somewhere else behind the scenes. James, how much of an impact for the Phillies pick that they that they don't have a second or third round choice because, again, they spent money in free agency getting Carlos Santana and Jake Arrieta. How much does this play into their first round pick? The way that it's been described is it seems like they're just going to go full freight here and spend what they can to get an impact player now rather than, I mean, you would think maybe they'd go high school, but you can't really push savings to round four so that's why it was it was kind of described that Mize would be their best case scenario especially since they're actually pretty good he could pitch out of their bullpen towards the end of this season possibly and be right you know right on their team for next year that's why um so I don't know and as I think James just got a he got caught up there because the Giants just took Bart second overall All right. right. So that's the first two picks are chalk right now. Casey Mize and Joey Bart, which means the Philadelphia Phillies are now on the clock. The Chicago White Sox will be next. Again, the pick value for the White Sox fourth overall is $6.4 million. And as the Phillies contemplate on what they're going to be doing, Brian, as far as the slot value for the White Sox, again, the Cincinnati Reds behind them have a little less than $6 million. Uh, They have $5.9 million they could spend. 
Is there an opportunity for the Chicago White Sox, whether they go with a Nick Magical or Brady Sinner, or they surprise us with somebody else, that they could save a little bit of money here with the fourth slot, maybe sign somebody for $6 million and push those savings to the second or third round? Well, I sure hope so. I mean, given, given the draft class being a draft class that's flush in depth, uh, there's certainly a lot of opportunity for teams at the top of the draft who have the capability of pushing money back. Um, you know, I think the Rays and the Royals who have the extra picks are going to take full advantage of it. But, you know, I just find it hard to believe that with, with Madrigal, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say he's the best all around college player. And, and college bats are typically the safest demographic. It's kind of hard to say that, you know, maybe he should be under slot at four. You usually don't see the best college bat last that long. Um, but it'll be interesting. I don't expect them to surprise us. And, and I think uh, if if there were an underslot signing, it would be, you know, maybe 100, 200, 300,000 just because of, uh, you know, how top heavy the draft pooling works in baseball. And James, let's say if the White Sox can sign somebody for six point one million and they can save three hundred thousand dollars. Is that enough to get an impact prep player in the second round where the White Sox are looking at pick 46 having a slot value of about one, a little bit more than one and a half million dollars. Yeah, I think so. I think you can get somebody there for $2 million. Um, I mean, one of the, one of the shortstops, there's a bunch of shortstops there. So they should be able, I mean, they gave Gavin sheets $2 million last year. So I would think, yeah, I would think they'll be able to do that. As the Phillies have two and a half minutes here, Jimmy, I mean, what are you feeling right now? What's the mojo with the Phillies? Who do you think that they're taking right now, third overall? Well, people are telling us that it's bomb, but the truth of the matter is this could be the wrench in the works. Now, if they take one of the two players attached to the White Sox, they take away the White Sox need to make a decision, right? They take the other guy. So if they take Singer or they take Madrigal, pretty sure thing that that uh, that the White Sox will take the player that remains I I would hope I have no use for bomb whatsoever I mean if that if there if there's one player in the top 10 that I would rather not see them take I think you could put his name in that slot for me why are you against the possibility of Alec Baum to the White Sox fourth overall <sighs> Uh, he's a plotter, you know, and I mean, we've already we've already got, you know, Collins that might have to go to first base. We got Zavala that might have to go to first base. We've got Berger that might have to go to first. We got Sheets at first base. We got Abreu, who's our best player, who they're probably going to resign. is going to be there for five years. How many people can you play at first base? Let me ask you, can we just not play a second baseman? We'll put everybody at first, string all those plotters out there. Come on. It's we'll just, put a lawn chair at second base. Maybe uh, it'll help. Uh, I, I would point <laughs> out that Paul Canerco was was a catcher and slow as dirt when he was drafted. And this guy, to me, is Paul Canerco. Well, with Baum, <laughs> I mean, he did put up very impressive numbers this year for Wichita State. Scouts love his power profile. But, Brian, it does raise a good question. If Alec Baum were available to the White Sox fourth overall, as the Phillies have about 50 seconds left before they make their next pick, what kind of message does that say if the White Sox take another third baseman after they just selected Jake Berger last year? Well, I think Jimmy framed it correctly. While I feel differently than him about Bohm as a player, I, I think the White Sox do have to look themselves in the face. And I, and I wrote about this today. I mean, they drafted a first base only guy in Gavin Sheets in the second round last year. And then their past two first round picks are Berger and Collins, who are third base and catcher, respectively. 
But a lot of people outside of the organization have doubts that they're going to stay at those positions. So I, I do believe if, if they think Bohm is the best <coughs> offensive bat in this, in this draft and he's available to them, I think they should jump all over him. And I wouldn't necessarily be upset if they passed on, say, Nick Madrigal to get Bohm. But at the same time, you know, he, he is a very tall guy. I think, uh, you know, his, his athleticism is discounted. I mean, he's a guy who moves pretty well. He is six foot five, and you don't see a lot of guys uh, that size stick anywhere other than uh, first base as far as bats go. But, you know, I, I don't think it, it, it's enough to rule him out as a whole because at the end of the day, you know, everybody understands that pitching is kind of found in, on the free agent side now, and, and it's more of, you know, patching things together and staying healthy you got to find these premier bats that, that could carry you through a long season. And James, what do you think the long-term outlook is going to be for Jake Berger now, now having suffered two injuries to the Achilles, and we're probably not going to see him play in any games into the second half of 2019? I really don't think you can even plan on having him. I don't, I don't think it's a career ender or anything like that. I just think you even penciling him in to some sort of future lineup is a mistake at this point. I mean, I, I was actually one of the people that thought he had a solid chance of staying at third base. I don't I mean, I'm the Achilles is going to heal. So, you know, I'm sure he'll still run back out to third base. The problem now is just the time lost. I mean, it's just going to take so long to get back, I think. So that, that wouldn't be, I mean, Jake Berger being in the system wouldn't concern me at all. I mean, I think the concerns, you know, we've kind of talked about with Bomber, just positional stuff. Burger doesn't really matter there for me. But it does raise a point of best player available. Obviously, Brian, that is always subjective, right? I have the beholder on what people really think best player available is. For a while, Travis Swaggerty was a popular pick for the White Sox in March and April to go fourth overall. And I think, rightfully so, White Sox fans rolled their eyes because, oh, another outfielder? Like, there's such a huge outfield logjam right now in Winston-Salem that the organization needs to sort out that I don't think it'd be worthwhile to invest more money, especially coming for the draft, into outfielders. But if that's the best player available, isn't that the right way to go? I mean, definitely. you got to take the best player available. It's, I mean, it's, it's that simple. At, at the end of the day, if, if it gets to a point where the White Sox could be trading these assets then then so be it you know i'd love to be you know everybody asks me you know if you talk about drafting madrigal well what are the Sox going to do with tim anderson what are the Sox going to do with yon mancata i'd love to have that type of scenario where we have too many good players that we have to get someone out of their own position to uh, get them in the lineup Um, but as i ramble on here the phillies did just select alec bohm so i'll kick it back to you on that end josh All right, so that sets up the debate we've been having the last week. And I was kind of hoping that it wouldn't come to this. It would be an easy (laughs) slam dunk choice for the Chicago White Sox. But, you know, nothing can be easy this year, especially 2018 for the White Sox. Nick Madrigal and Brady Singer. That's what it seems like the decision is going to come down to. Jimmy, I will start with you. Which direction would you go if you were consulting with the White Sox? I, 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 you know what, I, of the two, and I think it is of the two, I would go with Madrigal because I like his floor better. I, I, right now, we've got a good amount of pitchers, and of course, you can always use more. We certainly have two guys in the middle, and he's, this guy will actually be up fairly quickly, probably 2020. 
I don't see that as a problem. What's the most exciting thing about this White Sox team? When they go flying around the bases and make spectacular defensive plays and get the crowd excited about their play, and that's something that this kid can do. He's going to get on base. There's no question about it. He's going to fly around the bases, and he's going to have spectacular defense, and they'll find some place to play him. So, yeah, uh, Singer, I think if they picked him, I'd be perfectly happy. I think he would fit in with all of the other great pitchers that we have. And you know what? Another starting pitcher that with a high upside, that would be a nice thing. But I would tend to lead to Madrigal in this instance. How about you, James? With that decision, if you were consulted for the White Sox, who would you pick between Magical and Sinner? I'd go uh, Nick Magical here as well. Um, I agree with Jimmy there, just with the I believe more in his in his floor. I do think Brady Singer's pretty solid, two plus pitches, um, but there you know there are reliever concerns, and well, he's he's a pitcher, so you know I'm pretty sure Magical will hit. I'm not positive that he's going to be able to play shortstop. I think that's where they would send him, but I'm pretty sure he can hit. We know he can run, um, so I think he's definitely safer, and they're probably both going to be right in the same price range, I would imagine, too. So I'd go I'd go Madrigal for sure. And finally to you, Brian, if you had this decision and if you were texting with the White Sox scouts, what would you advise? I, I'm I'm with Madrigal as well. I mean, coming into the draft, I expected Mize to be off the board, and, and to me, it was uh, Madrigal or Baum, and Singer being the, the third guy. Um, but you know, just as we were talking earlier with with the the rumors of the differences in the White Sox front office, this is really a, a pick that I think White Sox fans are going to be really happy with, or they're going to be really angry with. Um, and while I shouldn't put credence to this. I just got a weird message from someone who is verified on Twitter who just said the Sox are taking Madrigal. I don't know if this guy knows anything, but I thought I'd at least throw that out there as I, as I dig through Twitter here. Yes, you keep doing that. No, I agree with everybody. I, I have been on the Nick Madrigal train just because there's a, I believe in the White Sox ability to use a second or third round pick to develop a starting pitcher to be useful. Jordan Stevens has really impressed me since he's entered the White Sox organization. And he has proven at each and every single level to step up to the challenge. And he's doing it right now in Charlotte. And this was a guy that a lot of people had red flags on being injury concerns that the White Sox drafted, I believe, in the fifth round from Rice University. And I think that there is value in this draft, as we talked about in the depth, that if the White Sox wanted to add starting pitching, you're going to be able to find it in the second, third, and fourth round. I think when you talk about Magical and Sainer, James, I think it's just draft strategy because the college hitter pool is really shallow. And if you're not going to take advantage of it at number four, you may regret it later in the draft. Do you agree with that notion that maybe this isn't so much about the skill sets between Magical and Sainer, that this is more about draft strategy, that if the White Sox do want to add an impact college bat, they got to do it now because it may not be available at pick 46. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. There's definitely not a college impact hitter there at 46. And as a matter of fact, you can get a high school arm or possibly even a quick moving college arm there and end up, you know, basically filling two of your, I mean, it's not really needs based, but you fill two of those things. You get a Nick Madrigal and you can get your pitcher at 46. Yeah. As we have two minutes left before 
the White Sox make their fourth pick overall. I, I'll be honest. I'd be surprised if it's Nick Madrigal. I thought for a while that it was going to be Brady Cedar just because of what was being written. And that just may end up being noise that the decorated people in the war room, uh, maybe that wasn't correct or fully correct. Hey, Josh. The White Sox go with Madrigal. Yes. Something that I that I think that is important that you have to be aware of when you have a bunch of highly competent, intelligent people with strong opinions in your war room, they have every right and reason to express their opinions. The fact that that people felt strongly about different things and that they had a vigorous conversation in their war room, that's all good. That's not there's nothing. People were like, oh, I don't believe that this is happening. That they everybody should be able to speak their mind and they're intelligent people and they should be able to make their points. Of course, I just think that for certain White Sox fans, when they hear, oh, Kenny's making the final decision, uh, they don't want to hear that. Uh, <laughs> wow. There should be Rick Hahn's show as far as the rebuild as it continues on. However, you know, Brian made a good point on Twitter today. Kenny's the final guy. Kenny's the guy that helped convince Jerry Reinsdorf to spend the $56 million to get Luis Robert and to spend the money to get Jose Abreu. So if, if Mr. Reinsdorf has any concern... Uh, about spending money, uh, then yeah, you'll definitely need Kenny Williams uh, to help convince that. Now, it says on MLB Network that the pick is in for the Chicago White Sox fourth overall. Again, this pick value is $6.4 million. And we're just going to be waiting for confirmation as if you're watching on the MLB Network. Uh, They're in the war room right now. That is an impressive screen. They do not take you there during the Uh media tours before the year. AJ, AJ on the TV. Hey, Josh, if it isn't the two guys we're all talking about, who might another player be? I got to think Jonathan India. Jonathan India hit the two-run homer against Casey Mize when Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams were in attendance. Brian, do you have a a third option? Well, the White Sox have selected Nick Madrigal, so I think it would be uh, (laughs) – Don't even need to answer that question. Yeah, I think we could just skip right to it. Um but yeah, I mean, for for the sake, I mean, I think we all were pretty much in line with wanting that to be the pick. And uh, you know, Jimmy, I know you're not a big Twitter guy, but for the sake of my my mentions and Josh's mentions and and James's mentions, this is a a great pick for us. But you know, I, I was talking to a scout who was out there when he was playing in uh, against USC when the White Sox were in attendance. Rick Hahn was there watching him, and I I said, uh, well, how did he look for Hahn? And and he responded with one word. He said, magical. And if you watch this guy play, I mean, he, he is a lot of fun to watch. I, I don't know how much the power is going to carry to the next level, but this guy's a major leaguer. I don't know how high ceiling he's going to be, but I, I think he's going to be a fan favorite uh, for the major league squad sooner than later. Yeah, he definitely fits in that go-go White Sox 1959 team. I mean, he's just that type of throwback player. Hits for average and... He's very aggressive as far as in the strike zone. He does not let counts get deep on him, which is why he has such a low strikeout total this year. He's only strikeout five times this season. That's it. Incredibly low strikeout totals. He's great on the base paths. He's great defensively. James, where does Madrigal now fit within the White Sox pipeline as far as top prospects in the system? Well, one other thing before I get to that, on the TV feed, they did announce him as a shortstop, so um, that might be an indication of what they're planning on doing. Um, I think 
it's going to depend on publication. I think probably four in front of Alec Hansen, but I could see him five right behind him as well for some. So does that make him the fourth best positional prospect the White Sox have? Obviously behind Aloy Jimenez. Is that, and I would assume Luis Robert, is that Collins somebody that would still be ahead of Nick Madrigal, just I, if, especially how Collins has been hitting this of late? No. I don't believe so, no. I think I think Kopech, uh, Eloy Jimenez, and, and Robert, and then Madrigal probably slots in. And for somebody like MLB Pipeline, honestly, he might be, um, he might be like a top 60 prospect in the game or something immediately, but, you know. Yeah, speaking with Eric Loggenhagen, who was on our show a couple weeks ago for Fangraphs, they're going to have him as the 35th best prospect in Major League Baseball when they release their next top 100. I I mean, I think that's a bit high uh, just because, wow, you're telling me he's already better than some guys who are making their mark in, in minor league baseball. And, you know, he's still playing in, in the collegiate ranks. Uh, it, it's just a bit surprising that he has that much value, but hopefully he can be able to uh, demonstrate as far as his skill sets. It is very exciting to hear that the White Sox continue as far as the position player front. And I do think that this does fill a need for the White Sox in their farm system with Nick Madrigal now going to the White Sox number four overall. The Cincinnati Reds are now on the clock. They have about a minute left to go. And Brian, I know that you have to leave us here because you got to be popular. And you got to do a radio hit with 670 to score. Uh, so thank you again, Brian, for doing this three years in a row. The way that this season's going, Mr. Billick, we're going to be talking about a number one pick possibly in 2019. Josh, I will be there next year. I'm going to throw you guys on mute and then I'll come bother you when I'm done. All right. That sounds all right. terrific. All right, so the Cincinnati Reds now, their pick is in. Do you have any thoughts, James, as far as what the Reds could do here? It's always assumed that they would just take whoever the White Sox wouldn't. Is this where you think Brady Sainter goes? That seems to be the consensus. There were some rumors about high school here, possibly. Earlier today, I saw Libertor as this being his his ceiling, possibly. Um, They do have extra comp picks and whatnot too so i mean they could afford to go singer here and still make an impact later so yeah i'll go ahead and say they'll take brady singer here how about you jimmy who do you have the reds taking here fifth overall i think that singer would be the easy choice but uh but that's not necessarily the case when you think about where they're sitting they probably had uh five college players on their board and five high school players on their board well officially four of those college players are gone so they've got one college player this guy and maybe india as well and then their top five high school guys so it could be a high school guy you'd have to consider it the very best high school players are all available are you guys surprised right now that this has gone chalk through the first four picks and it could possibly go chalk again here with the Cincinnati Reds, James? I'm really surprised. I mean, usually you're like a week out, you're a few days out, and you're like, oh, man, I got this thing pegged, and you're writing out your own mock draft, and it's never right. And this time it actually kind of was. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty surprising. I don't know if it's just because of the lack of true like superstar talent and, and some of the bonus pools at the top. There's not a ton of teams at the top of the draft that have a bunch of comp picks and a bunch of – bonus pool space to move guys to later rounds, so that could have something to do with just going mostly chalk and mostly college early 
Yeah, I guess yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out like where is the surprise is going to be again. We're waiting for the Cincinnati Reds pick to be announced. Go ahead, Jimmy. Well, Josh, I mean, it's just like you and I said in the offseason. We said at the end of the draft last year in 2016, the top six players that everybody knew went in the top six picks last year. The top five players went in the top five picks. That's why it would be surprising if Singer doesn't go right here because there are five players that most people agree are at the top of the draft here. And I, I expect them to go top five. I think the excitement is probably going to be in the next five because I don't think there's anything written down a heart on a piece of paper or, you know, uh, emblazoned uh, in permanent ink in the next five picks. Well, as far as the top picks, for those that have an opportunity, if you didn't get a chance to go into the 2018 Major League Baseball prospect database, it's something that I have created that has compiled some of the top draft rankings for these players that you could lean on to get an idea of who are the best players available, and you could rate, you could sort it out based on the publication who thinks about each player. So far, through the first four picks, number one, Casey Mize, he was the number one player. Joey Bart was number eight on the list. Alec Baum was number four on the list. And now Nick Madrigal is number five on the list. Matthew Libator and Carter Stewart are the two players, top two players available according to averaging out the draft rankings. Now, Madrigal, Baum, and Stewart averaging those scores out, we're talking difference in tenths of a decimal point. So very even rankings between those three players. Uh, and as Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, is currently at the podium right now. And the Cincinnati Reds, they take the SEC Player of the Year, Jonathan India, fifth overall. So Brady Sainer now dropping out of the top five. Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLB Pipeline both had Brady Sainer going to number nine to the Oakland Athletics. So that is something to keep an eye on. James, what are your thoughts about Jonathan India again? Very poor 2017 season when the Florida Gators won the national championship, but with the Gators being the number one team in the country, in large thanks to how well Jonathan India has been hitting. Yeah, I mean, very productive SEC infielder. Um, The track record for, what, SEC third basemen that have been taken this high, I mean, they they did similar a couple of years ago with Nick Senzel. I'm curious to see where they're going to start him out in pro ball, whether they send him to third, whether they send him to second. They could even send him to short to make him prove that he can't play there. So um, the breakout season for him has kind of it's paid off in a big way here. Yeah, you know, with India, the way, you know, watching a lot of Florida Gators games this year, and if you've been following me on Twitter, I've been tweeting out the videos, and I, I like his swing. Again, he's got that high leg kick to help generate more power. I do think that there is some flexibility defensively that maybe he could spot start at shortstop or he could even be a very offensive focused second baseman. Again, all the play time that he had this year, uh, well, most of it, he did have six starts at shortstop for the Florida Gators, has been at third base. Uh, so we'll see how the, the Reds handle it. I, I like this pick for the Reds. Again, James, as you mentioned with Nick Senzel, uh, he could either be at second base or third base. The Reds now have flexibility with two players. Now we move on to the sixth pick, and this is where it can get weird, Jimmy. We may be in the weird zone here with the New York Mets. We have mocks from MLB Pipeline, Callis and Mayo, saying that this is where Noah Naylor, a catcher from Canada, could possibly go six overall. What should listeners know about Noah Naylor? 
Uh, well, I love the kid. I, I back around Christmas when no one was uh, talking about the kid, I thought he would be a great opportunity for the Sox if they could grab him at 46. That's not happening. But he, you know what he is? He's he's uh, he's he's not some skinny kid. He's about six feet tall. He's a good. I'm going to say 185, 190. He is a very good athlete. If you play him at second, he looks good. If you play him at short, he looks good. He's actually a good catcher. Um, in the summer games, somebody pointed out, and it's pretty important, he was having a problem with pass balls. But as it turned out, um, the, cut, the pitcher who was supposed to start uh, wasn't able to play that day. So they punched in like eight different catchers on the guy. So he, I mean, pitchers. So he had to catch eight different pitchers that he had never caught before so he looked unprepared but it wasn't really his fault he's not a bad catcher but what he really is 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 a very powerful left-handed bat he barrels everything up he actually in the home run derby during the all-star game hit more home runs than than uh, nolan gorman did but he didn't hit more in the final round so in total he hit more so he's not just some little guy he's very very powerful and they were not just over the fence either they were a long way so yeah he's got a great bat 30 seconds left before the Mets have to make their official pick and James a name that was pretty popular as far as the top 10 maybe considered the best prep high school position players Jared Kellenick from Waukesha West Wisconsin is this a possibility for the Mets to go with Jared Kellenick sixth overall? Yeah, he was rumored here. I think what Fangraphs had it, they've been talking about it for days until the Naylor thing came out today. So I'd be I'd be pretty surprised if they don't um, go high school here. I mean, but um, they if they don't, do they? I don't know if they go pitching again with Singer. So I'll, I'll predict that it will be it'll be either Kellenick or one of the other high school bats here, and then that allows them to maybe save a little bit of money too. Does anyone have a good feel? Do the Mets have a good feel of where they're going to be in the next couple of years? Are they going to be a contender? I think they are the worst run team in baseball. I could be wrong. So I don't think they have a clue of what they're doing in Mets land. I think Baltimore's worse, but I agree with you. (laughs) I was going to say, Baltimore's pretty bad. I mean, Baltimore's pretty bad. Everybody knows what the White Sox are doing. I, I, yeah, Baltimore. I mean, the fact that they do not invest in the international pipeline is bizarre, and it'll be interesting to see what they do 11th overall. I can't get a good feel for the Mets. They started the season off so well, and I thought, wow, they could maybe, with their starting pitching, give Washington a legit fight for the National League East, uh, but it said that fight is being provided by the Atlanta Braves. And the Philadelphia Phillies, as uh, we still wait for the Mets to make their pick. I think that the Orioles are willful willful in their choices, willful. Whereas I have a feeling that with the Mets, that it's a ship without a rudder. You know, I just think it's like a dinghy floating out there without any idea of where they're going. I I don't feel that way about the Orioles. I think they do it on purpose. So while we wait for the six-pick stretch, uh, the draft show, uh, James, okay, let's talk about Nick Madrigal because it's going to be very fun to talk about Nick Madrigal in the upcoming days. Uh, Obviously, Oregon State, they're moving on to the Super Regional. I think Oregon State has a great shot, obviously, going to the College World Series, if not to the title game. And how fun would it be if Oregon State faces Florida for the national championship? And we do get that magical versus Sainer matchup uh, in that game. 
But when his college season is done, where do you think Nick Madrigal will start his career with the White Sox? Well, Getz hasn't been around that long, but if they follow what they did last year, it seems like he might get a tune-up in in the AZL for maybe a week or so, and then probably straight to Kannapolis, I would imagine. Um, they could go to – I mean, I'm – I would probably – say he could end the season at Winston-Salem, but I do not have a good grasp of the way that they've been handling prospects during this. I mean, they used to over-promote quickly, and now they're kind of under-promoting, in my opinion. So I would think he'll be in one of the levels of A-ball to end this season, and he should come fairly quickly. Would it be beneficial, I guess, for the Canapolis Intimidators, because they have a very good shot of winning the first half, to maybe have Madrigal help out the Intimidators with their playoff run, would that be a possibility? It makes sense to me. I don't. I don't know why you wouldn't. And it's not like you got a bunch of middle infield talent that is going to be blocking him from. I mean, he's immediately one of your top guys, and I think we're going to see a wave, you know, moving up through the system here. I do think. I mean, it, it might be a while here before we actually get him into the system, and I do think they'll start him in Arizona, but I, that won't be for long but yeah it makes sense Canapolis makes a lot of sense i think yeah, yeah it'd just be exciting that late august early september here are the Canapolis intimidators back in the postseason a chance to win the sally league and they have the number one pick and nick magical leading the way i just find that would be exciting now the new york mets have made their pick they're not going with noah naylor they are going with jared kellenick from waukesha west high school in wisconsin and here is an interesting stat for you, Jimmy, because I know you love stats. Uh-huh. Outside of Gavin Lux, who was drafted a couple years ago by the Dodgers, first overall pick, Gavin Lux was the sixth first-round pick. The previous five, four never made it to the major leagues, and the one guy that did back in 1965 had a career wins-above replacement total of negative 1.1. <laughs> Jared Kellenick and Gavin Lux are going against a very steep hill to try to prove that Wisconsin prep players can provide an impact. The best as far as players of all time for the state of Wisconsin, you're looking at Jordan Zimmerman, who obviously has pitched for the Washington Nationals and the Detroit Tigers. Jared Washburn, if you remember Jared Washburn, uh-huh. with, the, with that Angels team that won the World Series. And Jim Gatner. Harken back to the Brewers through the 80s. Those are your top three players from the state of Wisconsin. And Zimmerman and Washburn were taken in the second round. So best of luck to Jared Kellenick. History is not on his side <laughs> as far as players selected from Wisconsin. Okay, Jimmy. Uh, the San Diego. Those guys are from southern Wisconsin, if that helps at all. <laughs> Well, no. Well, yes, those two are, yes, I guess, closer to the equator. Uh, Jared Washburn pitched at UW Oshkosh, which is where I went to school. Jordan Zimmerman, I actually got a chance to broadcast one of his games, uh, pitched for UW Stevens Point. Now, seventh overall, the San Diego Padres. This is a team that I do not have a good grasp on what the heck they are doing overall. Uh, I still don't think it makes sense that they signed Eric Hosmer, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, we're going to know in about 
60 seconds here, Jimmy, on what direction the Padres are going to go. Do you have any good guesses on what A.J. Preller has planned for the Padres here, seventh overall? I, You know what? I have. I think I have good guesses. I'm pretty sure that they'll go high school because they're very good at collecting quality talent. They're not very good at, at putting it on the field in San Diego, but they are very good at building their system, and there's a, a lot of quality to be had. I would uh, – I would guess they're going to take one of the two high school pitchers that sit at the top. And if it was me, it would be Stewart. All right. James, how about you? Yeah, I do think they'll go with one. Of, they'll go with a high school pitcher here for sure. Um, they, you know, they lost one of their one of their picks to, when they signed Hosmer, but they got one back last week in a trade with the Twins. So I think that gives them the flexibility to go high school here and then even to go high school often as we move on tonight and tomorrow as well. And that's so interesting about the Padres because they make great moves. And I know this is painful for White Sox fans, but the fact that they got Fernando Tatis Jr. for James Shields is a terrific move for San Diego. And you could start believing in the Padres' rebuild on the young talent that they have that's producing not only in the minor leagues, but also we're seeing a little bit in the major leagues. And they make a crafty move uh, as far as accepting Philip Hughes, but they did get an additional draft pick, as James mentioned, that they could use towards the third round uh, that helps them add to the pipeline. But then they turn around and they sign Eric Hosmer. Yeah. Like, that's where it's just, I don't know. Really, Maybe that yeah. came straight from ownership. It really doesn't make much sense. And they did make this, they did make the pick, by the way. Um, it's left-handed pitcher Ryan Weathers. So that's probably pretty far under slot, I would think. Wow. Wow. Yes. That's... And that's uh, something that Fangraphs mocked, uh, that they had Ryan Weathers. Uh, the son of Dave Weathers, I believe Ryan Weathers was just named Gatorade National Player of the Year. Yeah, that's right. So we still have Matthew Libator, and we still got Carter Stewart, Stewart Jimmy, uh, still available for teams to pick. Well, Are you surprised? Well, not horribly surprised, but uh, yeah, I thought one of them would be gone by now. And, and, and at the same token, we have the master of uh, collecting uh, high school pitchers coming up here, the Atlanta Braves. They they have, what do they have, 70 or 80 of them? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like it. So, you know, the, uh, and uh, although uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, mocks have, have sent uh, Nolan Gorman their way. So there's that possibility as well. But, geez, they love high school pitchers. Love them. So. It is the Braves' way. Do you have a good feel on what the Braves will try to do here, eighth overall, James? I mean, just from – I mean, the mock said Nolan Gorman. But, you know, one of those high school pitchers is on the board. And, I mean, Brady Singer's still here too. They're a team that's that's not bad right now. So if they did want another quick moving pitcher, even though they got a bunch of them, um, I w- I think if I had to predict, I'd say they go they go high school with either Gorman or one of the two pitchers that we thought maybe would have went already. You know, with the Braves, what kind of position do you think that they're in? Are are they ready for fast moving prospects, or are they still gonna try to wait it out and let this thing grow organically, James? and see where they're going to be in a couple of years. See, I think they're actually kind of like where the Brewers were last year, where they didn't think that they'd be competing or as good as they were this year, and some of the guys that came up were just studs right away. I mean, nobody – I mean, Albies is a good prospect, but nobody expected him to hit for power like he has, and they got a bunch of pitching that's not even up there yet. So, I mean, I think at this point, I could definitely – I could see them adding like a 
Moustakis and a reliever at the deadline to try to make a wild card run and then be big players in free agency as early as next season. Yeah, it's exciting times if you're an Atlanta Braves fan because with the Washington Nationals, I mean, I think that they're going to lose Bryce Harper. That's obviously a big dent into the Washington Nationals roster. Uh, but you could see it would be exciting to see Braves, Phillies compete against each other in the National League East for years to come as the pick is in for the Atlanta Braves and we will wait uh, to see who the Braves take. And uh, I, this is an area that I thought maybe Nolan Gorman, one of your favorites, Jimmy, could go to the Atlanta Braves to provide something that they really don't have as far as in their pipeline, which is a power-hitting corner infielder. Yeah, I don't have a sense for where he's going to go. As we've all mentioned, uh, he's been mocked to them, and they have an interest in him. Um, I like everything that he has to offer. I'm not sure whether whether he goes here or not, but he's a high school kid. Um you know, people think that he's gotten too big. You know, who got hurt for being too big was uh, Chris Beck uh, years ago when the Sox draft. I mean, he dropped two rounds because he he did the wrong type of workout and he, he developed too many muscles, upper body muscles, and and lost some flexibility. I would say this kid naturally is a I would say a husky kid. What he should probably do and what a good baseball team will do is they need to uh, uh, stretch his muscles out and improve his flexibility. Something like Pilates, or yoga, that because this kid doesn't need to add any muscle. He's a, he's a big, strong kid. Well, I mean, when you got supposedly 80 grade power, you're going to be bigger in build, right? I mean, you're not going to be Nick Madrigal size no. and have 80 grade power. No. Uh, it is, we're five minutes away from the end of the show. There's a couple of things that I do want to shout out. Uh, James, uh, as far as with uh, future socks, Wednesday night, they have future socks night at guaranteed rate field. It is June 13th. The patio party is from 540 to 740. The ticket is $58. It includes the patio party. Great value. All you can eat food and beer and soda. You get a bleacher ticket and a $5 donation to charity. So it's to a great cause as well. If you're interested to participate at Future Sox Night, go to whitesox.com slash tickets and under specialty nights, you'll see Future Sox Night where you can buy your tickets. And again, that is Wednesday night, June 13th. That should be a great time, James. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. It should be a good time. Fingers crossed that uh, Rodon goes Friday night in Boston because then we're lined up for, for that Wednesday night. So that would be good. Dollar hot dogs that night too. Yes, Dollar Hot Dog Night, Carlos Rodon's first home start. Man, that would be a great night to go. So this sounds like right up your alley. Again, part of your ticket is going to charity, so it's to a great cause. Go to whitesocks.com slash tickets, and under specialty nights, find Future Socks Night. On June 16th, we are going to be hosting another after party, very similar to Sox Fest. Section 108 is going to be there. We're going to be there. It's going to be at Baderbrow Brewery. And the party is going to start around 4.30. And we'll have, again, our very entertaining roundtable like we did for the Sox Fest after party. The White Sox play against the Detroit Tigers that afternoon. Game starts at 1 p.m. So if you would like to go to the game with some of your favorite folks from SoxMachine.com, you can email me at Josh at SoxMachine.com or go to SoxMachine.com for more details. The after party is free to attend. The beard food are not, but it is reasonably priced. And Bader Brow does a great job taking care of us with service. And the food and beer is delicious. So... You, we have your week planned out for the week of June 11th. June 13th, you guys are going to Future Sox Nights to go see Carlos Rodon. And 
hang out with everybody, talk about as far as prospects in this draft. And then June 16th, you're going to come to the after party. And we're going to talk about what we could see in the second half of the season. And as we wrap up as far as the draft show and the Atlanta Braves are making their pick, I, so it was I actually, have the sound I mean, off. It was announced on TV already. So it is Jimmy's uh, guy, Carter Stewart, the right-handed high school pitcher out of Georgia. Oh, Excellent choice. Excellent choice. Yeah. Oh, and of course, he's a Georgia player to boot. That's uh, good for them. And then and then really quick here, I know we're, we're out of time, mm-hmm. but Robert Murray of FanRag Sports is reporting that the Athletics are planning on selecting Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray at number nine. Whoa. What? So, I mean, obviously that's, yeah, it's just. A- you know what? That's such an Oakland A's move. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, are they – I guess if they're willing to spend that type of money, you know it is a tough decision for Murray because he is planning on being the starting quarterback for Oklahoma in this upcoming year. Yeah, and one of the one, – sorry, go ahead. go ahead. I was going to say that they're probably going to give him $5, five million, which would be great for the kid and great for them because it's a lot less than their slot. That's probably their whole thought process. To top it all off, they'll probably put the money in their pocket and pick it to Vegas and try to double it. Yeah, I mean, this was I mean, this was one of the rumored uh, things for San Diego to do later on tonight was I saw the Ryan Weathers thing and then they were going to try to save money to get Kyler Murray. But apparently they're not going to be able to do that now. So, wow, a bombshell at the end of the show. We'll have to see the Atlanta Braves again drafting Carter Stewart. The Oakland A's are on the clock. And we'll be tweeting with you guys as the Chicago White Sox will pick tonight 46 overall in the second round. It will not be on MLB Network. Keep that in mind. If you want to see the announcement, you will need to go to MLB.com to watch the stream. But for White Sox fans, at this moment, we're all Oregon State Beaver fans as well, as Nick Madrigal is the pick for the Chicago White Sox fourth overall. Let me look at the NCAA regional so you guys can check out the White Sox Newest addition to the pipeline. Again, Oregon State winning their regional very convincingly uh, as they crushed LSU twice. Again, they did host that in Corvallis. And it one second here. Thank you, NCAA. Uh, wow. Oregon State Beavers are facing the Golden Gophers of Minnesota, a Big Ten team. Whoa. Again, Minneapolis was the number one seed in their regional and they were able to hold off UCLA. It will be the Golden Gophers against the Oregon State Beavers. And you can watch that next weekend. Those games are going to be on the ESPN networks. So if you haven't gotten a chance to see Nick Madrigal, whether it is the highlight videos uh, that I posted on Twitter or videos on YouTube, you'll be able to watch Nick Madrigal in action during the Super Regionals. And it'll be very exciting to see who the White Sox add 46 overall. Uh, but as we sign off here, James, I'll start with you. Are you happy with the direction the White Sox went? Yeah, extremely happy. I mean, I, I would have been happy with Singer too, but I think, um, I think just Madrigal, the the floor is way way higher for a guy like this. I mean, with a potential seventy hit tool and a seventy run tool, um, lack of middle infield prospects in the system overall, I think it's a really good move. Jimmy, are you in a good mood? Yeah, you know what? I think we all really were happy with the pick. Um, I think it's going to work out great. And you know what? Because he's on a good team, we're going to get to see a lot of him before he signs because he cannot sign until they're eliminated or they win. Uh, One thing I would mention, if they're playing Minnesota next week, Minnesota's got a great kid up the middle, uh, Taron Vavra. 
who is uh, a, a, a very uh, probably a, a second or third round pick this year. So people might want to take a look at him. He's uh, he is the uh, he is the straw that stirs the drink in Minnesota. <laughs> Using a old phrase for Adam Eaton. Well done, Jimmy. <laughs> You can read James' excellent work on futuresocks.com and the Loop Sports as he just doesn't always write about baseball, but he also does a great job covering the Chicago Bears. And you can follow James at JamesFox917. James, I know you're the rookie, but great job, and thank you so much for joining the draft show. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Looking forward to picking a couple spots higher next year and doing it all over again. <laughs> yeah. Quitting for Bobby Witts. Yeah. Quitting for Witts. That's... That's what we're going with right now. Uh, and Jimmy, as always, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for contributing again to the draft show. Yeah, great job, Josh. Brian Billick, of course, had to hop on the radio and he exited earlier. You can read Brian's work, of course. Excellent, as always, on futuresocks.com. And follow Brian on Twitter at Brian Billick underscore. This has been the Sox Machine 2018 Major League Baseball Draft Show. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having this draft show again in 2019. Depends on again where the White Sox will be picking. Maybe you'll be first overall. Maybe you second overall. Probably top five overall. But again, go to futuresocks.com, loopsports, socksmachine.com to read and listen to follow-ups from the 2018 Major League Baseball Draft. And this has been a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.